Ever waddle to the bathroom after sex? Towel between your legs? Desperately trying to keep the freshly delivered load from dripping down your leg and onto your hardwood? Well, worry no more. Awkward Essentials introduces the drip stick, or as I like to call it, the cum sponge. This medical grade sponge sucks up jizz before it sneaks onto your sheets. Visit awkwardessentials.com today and use my code WYP for a 10% discount. They offer numerous products for all types of fun fluids. Keep your shorts semen free and use my code today. That's WYP and save 10%. Awkward Essentials, making bodily fluids less awkward. What's Your Position podcast may contain adult themes, sexual discussions, and strong language. We want everyone to be educated, but we are intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Live from Nana's backyard in Garden Grove, California, this is What's Your Position. On today's show, we have guest Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Did you hear about the guy who dipped his testicles in glitter? Pretty nuts. And now your host, Ashley Weller. <laughs> Welcome, fellow humans, to another episode of What's Your Position? Pretty nuts. Cute, because they're glittery, because they're pretty. Aw. Thanks, Google. That's a good one. Uh, we have an expert on the show today. Uh, husband Kevin Weller and I... Actually, there's a very lengthy story and process that goes into this episode. But Dr. Jolie Hamilton, who is an expert in jealousy and compersion. And compersion is a word that we go into in the beginning of this episode that has not yet been added to the lexicon of human nature, but it should fucking be. That is a word I haven't heard before. Uh, it's beautiful. That, it's, it's a common thing around here. That sounds like a metal band. <laughs> Conversion. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's Something so many like, like sex terms that are like, how is this not a metal band? <laughs> it's not a metal band. Yeah. Um, but Dr. Jolie Hamilton joined us today. I'm, I'm super excited. She's actually the first person who, this is crazy. Okay, we're in season three, right? Here mm -hmm. we are hanging out in season three, and I start getting emails to what's your position podcast at gmail.com <laughs> if you want to send us an email um, from these random headhunters. I don't even know what else to call them. So people who are like, hey, there, what's your position? Uh, wait, hold on. Head. <laughs> I was like, oh, there must be a sex pun. Oh, no, it's right, it's right there. It's right in front of you. Head hunters. Phrasing. So I get this email that was like, I have a client that I think would be excellent on your podcast. And I was like, this is spam. <laughs> <laughs> who is it? Like, there's no way. And it was Dr. Jolie Hamilton, who is an expert in 
jealousy and consensual non-monogamy. And I got this email at the exact same time that Dr. Justin Lay Miller was on my podcast talking about consensual non-monogamy. So I was like, the universe is listening. And then I got like 10 more emails from other people who were like, this person wants to be on your podcast and this person wants to be on your podcast. And I've never felt more love in my life from people emailing us asking to be on our podcast that aren't our friends. You're doing it, Peter. You're doing it, Peter. <laughs> so if Joey, you don't know what that is, you're you, too young. You're too young. Uh, Rufio, Rufio. Hold I on. don't know what that is. L- yeah, little, no. I was going to ask. Little, <laughs> little turn. turn. You know what we're talking about? No. Rufio? Uh, not, not the punk band. Ruf- Rufio, Rufio. Hook with Rufio. Dustin Hoffman oh. and Robin Williams. Hook. Julia oh, Roberts. like the, the Peter movie. Pan movie? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah. doing it, Peter. Yeah. All right, there's a lot of movies you need to watch. Little turn. Seriously, um, I thought I was. We'll educate her. Don't worry. I'll educate her. Husband Kevin Weller and I already took her home and made her watch Beer Fest. We could only we. I had Wait, to leave, hold on. Though, that was the first broken. Well, Lizard? okay. Super no. Troopers was you could only rent it for 19.99, and I was like, I own Super Troopers, but I don't own a DVD player. I'm not paying twenty dollars to play Super Troopers. And I don't know how to do the free things. I don't know how to do the th- anyways. Okay. So we showed her we showed her beer fest because it's funny. It's the same. Yeah, I mean no, it's a good it was, one. It was funny. good. It's we couldn't finish good. it though because I had to leave because I had to true. go watch Avatar. It's <laughs> true. She went and watched really Avatar. Well, good. Then now okay, remember what you remembered in Beer Fest. It's a great movie. It yes. is. But now it is great. I have watch to Super Troopers. Ugh, so okay. much better. It's a great Right. So much better. Okay. Independent film. Oh God, yeah. The fact right. that those oh, yeah. those guys independent. This isn't a blockbuster. They made it. I this think, is under a, a million cult. dollars. Oh, way less. And they and they made <laughs> millions. Cult class. <laughs> Maybe not them, but the studio did. Cult class. They are the okay. studio. Broken well, Lizard Studio. No, but they. I almost am positive they are their own studio. I'm pretty sure if you Maybe ask. Maybe not Super Troopers. Jay- Chatterham car. They don't. They don't. They, they didn't make money on that movie. Probably not. <laughs> but then they made movie. Slam and Salmon, which was not as good. <laughs> Club Dread, which was great. Well, S- Slam and Salmon's good if you've worked in. It's not as good as Waiting. True. And they put it out at the same fucking time, which I was like, that's dumb. True. Waiting it's is so more, much it's better. A more, it's a little bit more like airplane. <sighs> right. 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 Oh, right. I've seen that. Airplane? Yeah. Oh. All right. Okay. Okay. I've seen that. (laughs) Look at you. Again, I have to say, this is a sex podcast, not a movie (laughs) podcast. I mean, I would love it to be a movie podcast. That's fine. If we start with a movie, you start with a movie quote. Yeah, I can't can't help it. Not today. What was that? That was just a random joke from Google. Dad joke. Good times. So, anyway. Typed in dad joke, sex joke. Dr. Jolie Hamilton oh, was the yeah. first person right, to right. actually request to be on my podcast as someone I didn't know. Woot woot. I know. You're doing it, Peter. Where's the horn? Uh, I the, don't have it like... Here's the crazy part. <laughs> I fucking oh, wait, hold on. had a podcast platform called Zencaster, and I tried to record this episode three times. And the first two times was on Zencaster. And every time I tried, my Wi-Fi dropped, the signal dropped. I would get about 10 minutes into the episode. I would introduce her. I would hype her. 
Dr. Jolie Hamilton, blah, 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 blah. I just fucking gooing and oozing <laughs> over her. And then the episode would drop. And I was like, okay, we're going to have to re-record. Can, can, I, can we do this again on Thursday? She's like, absolutely no problem. I do a podcast too. Her podcast is called Desire on Fire. <laughs> you should go check it out. And she's like, I get it. Don't worry about it. We'll do this. She's on the East Coast, by the way. So we're doing this. It's like 10 p.m. her time. And she's so fucking kind and so great, just gracious. We try again on Thursday. Same fucking thing happens. I can't get the podcast to, to start. I can't get it to get past the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, I am so sorry. Come to find out other people who were using this platform, Zencaster, were having the same fucking problem. So I downloaded a new podcast platform called Riverside, which is, and hers is the first episode on Riverside. Unofficial, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully official sponsor, sponsor Riverside, yeah. um, but unofficial sponsor Riverside Podcasts. Um, not a great county. Not a no. Not a great county, <laughs> but no. a great, great website. podcast I like, platform. I, I love it. As so a, as far, a it has been. I love it. Echelons better than Zencaster. But the first moment I, I logged into Riverside, I realized that episode was going to work out. The funny thing was, husband Kevin Weller happened to be home for that third try. And so third he's time's third time's a charm. And uh, Jolie and I had a great back and forth about like anticipation and, you know, edging and <laughs> like almost getting the episode off and then not. And then <gasps> I can't wait for the time that we actually do. Get. So <laughs> it was, it was a very good like introduction to one another. Uh, and then the episode itself, I feel like is one of my favorite of season three. It is really fucking good. So Dr. Jolie Hamilton is the relationship coach for couples who color outside the lines. Um, she herself was in a open relationship, but had not set proper boundaries and then ruined her relationship. Ooh. I've been there. Just decimated it. Yeah. And she goes into detail about the open relationship she's had and that she's polyamorous. Um, and this episode is very much focused on the polyamorous spoke of the consensual non-monogamy umbrella. Um, but even more dialed in to jealousy and how jealousy plays a role in consensual non-monogamy. So for those of you who did not listen to the consensual non-monogamy episode with Dr. Justin Lay Miller, which you should, there's two parts to that. We discuss consensual non-monogamy in detail, what it is, what it isn't, how to get to it, boundaries that you can set. Uh, this episode discusses one facet of that, which is how to manage jealousy. So in consensual non-monogamy, you are engaging in sexual, romantic, or intimate relationships outside of your primary relationship if you're in a hierarchical relationship. Uh, and there is bound to be envy, um, concern, worry if your partner's like, oh yeah, I want to go and fuck her. And you're like, Excuse me? Why? <laughs> what does she have that I don't have? Why do you want... A thousand want more TikTok followers. Fuck her, right? Shit. Exactly. <laughs> a bigger ass or, you know, bigger tits or... Uh, what is it about this person that makes you want to have sex with them rather than me? 
And that is a lot of the self-conscious ideology that we have surrounding sex in this society. So Dr. Jolie Hamilton, myself, and husband Kevin Weller really get into her experience with open relationships and consensual non-monogamy. And she is actually a consensual non-monogamy coach. You can go to JolieHamilton.com to register for her classes where she teaches you in a workshop, whether you're a single person or somebody in a partnership, about Jealousy Rewired. And she has a five-point system that she lays out. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to drop a fucking bomb. I didn't realize that I did this, but I did my research on Dr. Hamilton and... She, wait, 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 You did research? I did. A little bit. Oh. Just a little. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> she has a five-point plan in how to initiate and be present in a polyamorous, consensual, non-monogamy relationship that she makes people pay thousands of dollars for. And... I know that she has this because I signed up for her. No, I didn't pay. I just signed up for her newsletter online. I was like, get these five points. Say, you have thousands of dollars? Why is this no, in no, no. the podcast? <laughs> no, 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 no. But it was like these five tools that you can use. And I was like, cool. So I was like, that's what I'm going to base the episode around is these five tools on, you know, jealousy and consensual non-monogamy. And I kept asking and kept pushing. And at the end of the episode, she said, no one has ever gotten the five points out of me for free. <laughs> I Not even on my own podcast have I... So this podcast is wow. worth a couple thousand dollars? Podcast is worth thousands. Okay, yeah. So we're going to put this on Patreon. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm gonna make money off Julie. <laughs> but I did do I did do no. a statistic of the day on this episode, which okay. I wanted to oh, to okay. let everyone know that there is a statistic that is actually well, mind blowing. Go spend your thousand dollars on Jolie. Doctor Jolie Hamilton. So, I do have a question. Though. Yeah, please. Oh. So she, you said she lives on the East Coast. She does. So are her classes over Zoom. They or? are. They okay. are virtual classes. She does uh, virtual sessions at seven p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is ten p.m. her time, um, and she only allows like five couples in. Wow. Yeah, and it's pretty exclusive. She does it like uh, uh, like. A court uh, per quarter, so like okay. every three months, she does uh, uh, seven round. p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's when Jeopardy's on. I understand, but we can also record Jeopardy. Yeah, but Jeopardy. Okay. Anyways, it's great to fast forward. It's like you have a stat or a tip. Tap stat stat. stat. Here, we go. Here it comes stat. Here it is. Uh. It's the stat of the day. Ooh. It's the stat of the day. I will tell you, Hamilton nailed it. She fucking nailed it. On the head? Like, she knew this stat. I I should not have done this stat. This was an easy fucking grab for someone who is in the world of consensual non-monogamy. My bad. (laughs) It was my bad. It was my fucking bad. Um, Approximately what percent of the North American population are currently engaged in consensual non-monogamous arrangements. Approximately what percent of Americans are currently engaged in consensual non-monogamous relationships? I will tell you 
20% of Americans have engaged in consensual non-monogamy at some point in their life. Do you also know what 20% of Americans have done? Cheated on their spouse? Owned a cat. Oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's how many people have... 20% of Americans own a cat. What's dogs? Wow. I, I didn't look at that. I just looked at hey, what intern, do 20% of Americans... Yeah, what are you doing over there? What do it's 20% work. of Americans do? 20% of Americans are also I, bilingual. I, okay. I think the dog number is a little higher. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just but, trying yeah, but, to prove okay. a point. That's I'm proving your point, too. Like, dogs like... People like dogs more than polynam... Polynam... All right. There we go. Dogs. Percent of households owning... 38. Okay, it's not that much higher, actually. Numbers of households owning, you want to guess? 72 million. More. Wow, 105 million. Wait, what did you guess first? (laughs) 72. Oh, wait, no, it was less. 48 million. (laughs) Good times. Good times. Good times. She's an intern. Good times. That's fine. You figure this out. So. (laughs) 20% 20% of yeah. Americans own a cat and are bilingual and have engaged in consensual non-monogamy. So just so you understand how okay. common this is. Yep. Get it. How, what percentage of North Americans are currently engaged in consensual non-monogamous relationships? Lil Turn, I'm going I'm to go ahead of you on this one. Sure. Go for it. Let's do it. 6.9%. Mm, <laughs> Wait, let me do that again. Six point nine percent. I'm shocked. I'm gonna get that reverb better. Anyways, I'm gonna say five percent. Okay. And if I'm remembering from my class correctly, I think that that's right. (laughs) 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 Okay. I've worked on my poker face. Hold on. Not only is she doing (laughs) prices right style. She has an inside horse. I'm well, not in the classes. Uh, I record the podcast, but I'm not let, in the fucking look, classes. Let's, can we just talk about the fact I've taken your class now twice, and I took a gender identity and sexual mm-hmm. orientation class yeah. last semester. She's got more than just me. Yeah. It's not just me. I, I'm a psychology minor guy. She's an inside horse because <laughs> she's an inside horse. That's why I went first. Yeah. All right. All right. I, I, I have feel, a diverse I, I knowledge. Good. Good. So... Uh, Jolie nailed it on the head when I asked this question, because of course she fucking did. Um... So compersion and jealousy are the opposite of one another, okay? We're going to talk about this more in the episode, but jealousy is the envy of another person. And jealousy is typically seen as a bad thing. And I actually went into this episode thinking jealousy is bad and I want to get rid of it. And she actually changed my mind. And she's like, no, you need jealousy. Jealousy is beautiful. Jealousy is a way for you to know that there is still something about your partner that you desire and that you want and that you crave. I love that. Compersion. Another metal band. Compersion. Wait, is that the same one? That's the same. Same same version. Same same metal band. So the way she describes it is is beautiful, (laughs) and you'll hear it in the episode, but she talks about, and she, she takes it to a place that makes it easy for everyone to understand. Let's say you're taking a child, whether that be your niece, your nephew, your godson, your goddaughter, your your daughter, your son, your grandchild. You're taking them out for a fun day at the beach. And it's hot, and you both really want an ice cream cone. And you reach into your bag, and you realize you forgot your wallet. And all you have is $5, and you can only buy one ice cream cone. You both want it. But you get the ice cream cone for the child. 
and you're watching them eat this ice cream cone and you're like, yes, I really want that ice cream cone. But also I'm so fucking happy for them. Like I'm so grateful that they get to enjoy that fucking ice cream. Like I'm really happy for that. I, I want this. I got a little of that from Sir Lucifer. Yeah. He got off on like the fact that the person it, that paid him yeah. was like getting I was like Yeah. I, he was like, I'm loving this. He understands yeah. conversion. Because he's Absolutely he's the one getting does. ice cream right now. Sir oh, yeah. Lucifer, <laughs> who is in the, probably the very one of the first three episodes of season we three. Have him back. Oh. He's, oh my god. He just got a vasectomy. Did he really? Well, that's an episode. <laughs> that is an episode. <laughs> that's a fucking episode. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But Compersion is the idea that yes, envy exists, and yes, you may want something, but because you love this person and because you appreciate this person and you want this person to experience joy, your envy and jealousy is actually okay because you want them to be happy and you're happy for them experiencing this piece of joy. Yeah. Compersion is a new concept for me. And Dr. Hamilton explains that it's actually not yet in the dictionary. And it should, should be. be. I, I didn't know I, that it's was a word. great fucking word. I didn't even know it was a word. <laughs> they made it up. They made it up. No shit. Really? Yeah, they made the word up. Wait, that's so cool. Yeah. Compassion and compression and immersion. Like they oh mixed a bunch of words together. That's so I know. And I was like, that's a beautiful fucking oh word. <laughs> um, so we talk about compersion in the first part. We talk about, um, you know, how to start. a. Cons- I do a tip of the day where she completely says no to every tip I give. Oh, it's fuck. amazing. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's one of the best tips of the day I've ever done. She dismantles every tip I give. It's Wait. fucking great. Wow. So here we go. Part one. Well. The first part of our Dr. Jolie Hamilton, Jealousy and Consensual Non-Monogamy. Join us. Hold on. Can I yeah. get a little shout out? This is uh, Brooke Howard, a oh, friend okay. of mine. She's putting out oh. a new album. All right. This is her stuff. You I love this. Look, look her up. She's putting a new album out. She's is that a Kickstarter. with an E? Brooke with an E? Yes. B-R-O-O-K-E Howard. Okay. She's awesome. She's, she's a badass. Like Howard from Big Bang? Sure. <laughs> You know, spelling. Anyways, I want to give a shout out. So this is her. Nice. Good right. job. All right. Come right back. We'll be right back with Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Hello, fellow humans. Welcome to another episode of What's Your Position podcast. Listen, I'm going to be just absolutely fucking transparent. This is the third time that we have (laughs) tried to record with the one and only Dr. Jolie Hamilton. The first time, I'm going to blame it on the fact that California doesn't understand weather and the rain was not our friend and interfered with the Wi-Fi. The second time, I'm going to blame it on um, Zencaster dropping the episode like four times in a row. So we have now joined forces with Riverside and it is night and day, the difference. Um, And I can't 
express my gratitude enough for the patience that Dr. Hamilton has has given me and and the time that she has given over to us. She's not from the West Coast. And so to be able to do this at night and to be able to do this three times must mean that she loves me just a little tiny bit. A little bit. I'm going to fly across the country for you. She's going to fly all the way out here just, just for me. Not that her kid's anywhere out here at all. Just no. to see no. me. Additionally, we have another very important guest, husband Kevin Weller has joined us. He is live upstairs in the What's Your Position podcast studio. I am at a uh, undisclosed location in the mountains. <laughs> this is my living room. <laughs> I'm not in the mountains. This is this is my fourth appearance now. I know. This is your fourth time it's and you've banged out three in the last like two weeks. Like you're on a fucking tear right now, Weller. I'm ready. I know I you're ready. ready. I'm excited. excited. So everyone, welcome. Please help me welcome the relationship coach for couples who color outside the line, Dr. Jolie Hamilton. She helps people experience the freedom, deep security, and sexual fulfillment that comes from getting out of doing plain old monogamy and so much more. She has a PhD in archetypal psych archetypal psychology. That is really hard to say, by the way. She's a certified sex educator. She has combined decades of lived experience with three psychology degrees and a sexuality certificate. And she has made jealousy her primary research topic. So today we are going to delve into the world of jealousy and consensual non-monogamy. I have to tell you, consensual non-monogamy has been an extremely hot button topic, I feel like, recently. I've heard it a lot. I've heard the phrase getting thrown around a lot. I've had a lot of my uh, followers and listeners asking me about swinging and opening their relationships. And before we get into my tip of the day and my statistic of the day, have you noticed that this is something, am I just seeing it more everywhere because I'm talking about it? Like when you go and look for like a Kia, you see Kias or have you seen this? You're not imagining it. It is. Here's what it is. It's not that more people are necessarily doing this, but it has entered mainstream dominant culture. Okay. It's entered through like film and TV scripts mm. and it's entered through news articles. I mean, I, NPR called me. Like I, New York Times called me. Vogue called me. Like NPR called you? Yeah. yeah. Were you on NPR? I was. Who did I you was. talk to? Steve Inskeep? Uh, no, no. It was Andy Tangle for Life Kit. And it was Holy awesome. Fuck. It's It's because people are ready to hear these conversations. And I think that's just so realistic. I don't yeah. think the numbers are necessarily up. It's just that people are like, ah, oh, we're doing this anyways. We might as well talk about how to do it well. Right. right. Exactly. We may as well talk about how to do it right. So speaking yeah. of numbers, we're going to get into my statistic of the day. It's my stat of the day. Ooh. It's my stat of the day. 
I recently came across a tweet about a 2022 survey that showed about 15% of Americans have at some point, uh, excuse me, 15% of Americans prefer non-monogamy as their ideal relationship. In addition, a 2020 survey showed that millennials say, one third of millennials say their ideal relationship is non-monogamous. One third of millennials say that that is their ideal relationship. So for my statistic of the day, it's not very fair to husband Kevin Weller because I know that you know this answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways for the audience at home. What is the number of adults in the United States that have been in a non-monogamous relationship at some point in their life? And the answer is something out of five. How many out of five have been in a non-monogamous relationship at some point in their life? And the guest has to go first. Oh, I can I can go. Go ahead. Uh, it's one. Okay. One in five. one in five is your guess. That's your guess. Can That's I? You're educated. No, you cannot right. take her answer. Well, you know, you cannot. I know she's probably. You can't take her right. answer. Fine, I will do two. Two and five. Perfect. Five. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you letting me be right. I do. I do. That was nice. That was very kind. I yeah, should have let him that's go. That's the right move. <laughs> if I would have let you go first, babe, what would you have said? Probably would have said one. Yeah, right. I mean, I that makes sense. I wouldn't imagine that it would be two out of five. Do you know what else Definitely is one out of, out of five? The number of people who own a cat. And the number of people who play musical instruments. And the number of people who are bilingual. And the number of people that wear Crocs. <laughs> I doubt that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just oh. saying, one in five is a really large percentage of the population. That's like 20% of the population that are have at some point experienced what it's like to be in a consensual non-monogamous relationship. And one third of millennials, baby, that's us, their ideal relationship is to be in a non-monogamous relationship. So I really think that it's important for us to highlight for anyone who's listening, who's ever thought about opening up their relationship, who's ever thought about being um, polyamorous or in a swinging relationship. Um, this is not abnormal. This is not outside of any sort of weird box. Um, it may not be considered vanilla sex, uh, but it's definitely on the radar um, of up and coming and what people have been doing for kind of a long time, just under the sheets, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, Moving we along, say, like, forever. Been, forever. I mean, forever, <laughs> forever. right? Yeah. Actually, if you think about the history of non-monogamy, it goes back centuries. It goes back to the time of yore. I mean, Game of Thrones times. It definitely goes back to if you if you just take the all the whiteness out of it, it goes back to pretty much all indigenous cultures. Goes back all the way, but we don't necessarily have written records of it. So then we just sort of put our thumb over it. Right. It's just, it's one of the options. It's none one of the, of the primates, options. Right. None of the primates are monogamous. No. no. They're just not. And so. actually most animals aren't. It's, it's right. really not a normal thing to be exclusive mean, exclusively monogamous for your entire life. Um, it brings me to my tip of the day. Tip of the day. 
Tip of the day. These are some tips that the internet, the interwebs, the Google world, has offered me for how to navigate jealousy in a non-monogamous relationship. And as an expert, a sexpert, if you will, as someone who has dedicated her academic life to jealousy in consensual non-monogamy, so I literally would probably call you the expert on jealousy, can you please chime in during each tip? Yeah, happy to. Thank you. The first tip, start slow by dating as a couple meaning don't go on separate dates right away. Then go home and process that experience together. Yeah, I wouldn't actually give that as a tip. And here's why. Couples privilege is such a thing, right? Like if your goal is to maintain couplehood, really you want to think about swinging. Like think about swinging. Swinging is a different form of consensual non-monogamy that's right. much more limited. Falls under the practice. umbrella. It falls under the umbrella. But if you're talking about dating um, and processing and all of that, you are talking about maintaining a high level of couples privilege. That is one way to do it. You can, but that's not actually going to necessarily protect you from anything. So when I think about jealousy, I don't think, hey, if we do everything together, we just won't experience jealousy. <laughs> Nothing okay. is going to protect you from jealousy, so let's just deal with it. Second tip, control your external jealousy triggers by agreeing to boundaries about what you and your partner will or will not do with others. I do believe that we should consider strongly what our relationship agreements are. And we should negotiate around boundaries. And when I say boundaries, I mean what I'll allow into my space. Mm -hmm. So when you're first setting up your agreements, you're going to make these rules, right? And they're going to be designed to protect you. Yeah. That's fine. But we have to remember that our partners still have agency and autonomy. They are humans. And if we use those rules as clubs on each other, it's going to get pretty messy pretty fast. Oftentimes, we try to use the rules to really, again, protect us from feeling jealousy. I would instead say, let's make guidelines and decision-making processes so we understand how to flexibly meet the situation that we wind up in and then deal with the feelings that come up. Because it's not just going to be jealousy. There's going to be Right. There's other, other feelings, feelings besides jealousy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, increase your self-esteem and your sense of lovability. I mean... I love everybody to increase their sense of self-worth, <laughs> like their too. deeply felt sense mm -hmm. of worthiness just to exist on the planet just as you are, not needing to change anything. Yeah. Self-esteem, though, I, I tend to worry a little bit about this because some studies, if you look at like um, Tasha uh, Urich's work, if you, if you look at self-esteem, it can be a little problematic because some people prop themselves up with self-esteem that's pretty brittle and it often comes from outside or it comes from achievement. And so I'd be less concerned about propping up or, or building up self-esteem and really want to dig into those deep questions of worthiness. Worthiness. Yeah. Less about esteem and more about I'm enough. I am worthy of love and respect and I'm, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Develop emotional regulation skills so when jealousy comes up, you're able to handle it in a much more mature way. 
Hell yes. <laughs> and go right to the nervous system. Start there. Because if you don't have skills for regulating your nervous system, then you can use all the prefrontal cortex you want until it's offline. <laughs> Guess what happens when jealousy shows up? It goes <laughs> offline. So we're going to need some tools to deal with your limbic system. Yeah. Do you have any specific tools that you implore for people that when they I, need to learn how to navigate that nervous system? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I actually specifically chose neurosomatic intelligence as the framework that I use. And it's a great one because it's so efficient. Neurosomatic intelligence tools rely on understanding how your nervous system works. It's just applied neurology. We know where the nerves are. We learn how to stimulate them, and we do it in really small doses. We check to see whether our nervous system is getting the, the information, the inputs it wants. And if it does, and if it's getting inputs that it wants, it chills out. So it's a really, really effective and efficient way to learn how to not just emotionally regulate, which is often like more of a controlling, like I will control my emotions. Mm -hmm. This is about going straight to the nervous system and saying, I want to bring my body back to homeostasis. So How does one do that? Okay. Yeah. So for the people that didn't, uh, I totally understood everything that you just no, said, you but didn't. for the people Kevin's that brilliant. didn't- Kevin's brilliant. He got it. <laughs> could you, yeah. Could you expand on what you're saying about regulating your nervous system, all that How stuff? to like, get to homeostasis. Yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. So first off, we all have a nervous system and it's how we experience the world. So let's just start there. Your nervous system runs all through your body, and it is how you receive and then interpret inputs. Inputs are everything. It's, it's your environment. It's everything you take in through your senses. It's, it's so much. Luckily, we can also add inputs. So how this might look in practice is if I want to add an input, it could look absolutely ridiculously simple. Like I might do this. If you're just listening to me, that wasn't going to be impressive. I stuck <laughs> my tongue into my cheek pocket and it looked pretty funny. That is an input. My body received a signal. Now, if I do this here in, in a three-step process, if I check my range of motion, like I check how far my head will turn, how much rotation I can get in my neck or in my spine or in my shoulder rotation. Mm -hmm. Now, if my body is tense and going into a fight or flight response, my range of motion would be decreased, right? Okay. And if it's, if it's not, if it's relaxed, if it's heading toward homeostasis, then I get an increased range of motion. So I use this range of motion test to really quickly check. So I do this, I check to see how far I can rotate my neck. Now I give myself some piece of stimulus. It might be simple, like sticking my tongue in my cheek pocket. I might touch cranial nerve one with my thumb at the, at the beginning of my eyebrow. I might do um, long, slow exhale breathing. I might bounce. You ever heard about I might, putting ice cubes in your hand? You might hold ice cubes in your hand. You <laughs> might do, there are so many we can do. We can use the olfactory nerves. Mm -hmm, we can mm -hmm. use the foot. So any number of inputs. And then I recheck, did my nervous system receive positive response? Awesome. And these tools take between 30 seconds and a minute to apply. Yeah. So the reason I chose this particular method is because if what I'm trying to do is be able to actively for myself regulate my nervous system, I need to have an efficient way to do that when I'm not feeling totally calm and able to be rational. 
Right. These moves are so short that I can usually do them even when I'm not terribly rational. Even when your body is heading into fight or flight, when your prefrontal cortex is shutting down, you can still remember to touch the cranial nerve right here. You can still remember to grab an ice cube. You can still turn your neck from side to side. These, these aren't things that require verbal. I'm sure there's like, it would seem like to me that like breathing techniques of some sort would be one that people would be familiar with enough to be like, okay, I can do this. Right. So bring myself down to homeostasis. Yeah. Breathing techniques are awesome. And honestly, for many people, just doing box breathing or mm-hmm. doing six, seven, eight breathing is perfect. However, I have noticed that a high proportion of my clients really hate when somebody tells them to take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. <laughs> so just calm down and take a deep exactly. breath. Exactly. So I actually don't start with breath work because so many people have resisted really baseline nervous system work because that is an infuriating and feels very invalidating mm. for some people. Sometimes because that's what they heard when they were three years old was to just take a breath. So that makes sense. Cool. Let's just use other tools. And there are thousands of them and not all of them work for everyone. And that's fine. So I just equip people with a set of tools that works for them. We think of them as rescue drills. I use mine every single day. I also train my nervous system to be more flexible and resilient because we are talking about finding homeostasis. We don't want to flatline. We don't want to flatline our emotions. We don't want to flatline our nervous system. What we want is to be able to exit by arousal and by dipping into the lows. We want to be able to feel like I want to be able to feel grief. Mm -hmm. I really do. I want to be able to feel arousal. I want an orgasm. And then I want to be able, when I want to, to return to that window of tolerance. To the middle, right. To To the, the I'm just chilling. Range. Just chilling right here. The last one is work together to boost the quality of your relationship and the sense of being loved by each other and provide the reassurance that each partner needs in order to feel safe. I would say yes to all of that. And let's remember that some people are doing hierarchies and Mm -hmm. some people are leaning more toward what we might call relationship anarchy. And if you're leaning more toward relationship anarchy, we might want to focus on couplehood. That might not be the focus and it might intentionally move away from that. However, asking for reassurance isn't the same as reinforcing couplehood. So right. I'm pro asking for reassurance and even giving your partner the words that you need to hear. Yeah. Like, great move. Yeah. <laughs> Praise kink. <laughs> so you are a a mom. You have seven children. I do. I, can you tell me their age <laughs> ranges? Because I'm shocked and awed that you have seven babies. They are they are 15 to 23. So they're seven in seven years, but here's the thing. Four of them passed through my body and three did not. So oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So I would you have didn't... happily continued, but, mm. but I was, I was, um, I was presented three of my babies <laughs> in a lovely way that didn't require any more labor. So that was kind of nice too. That's nice. That's actually very lovely. That's yeah. good. Okay, and as so it you... was, I breastfed for 11 years. So for God's sakes. Oh my Come on. God. Like, it was a long decade. Your poor boobs. <laughs> right? Seriously. Like, they're just, yeah. Good thing I don't have any tattoos on them. Oh. I'd be shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. No good. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. So can you t- can you please tell us your lived experience with consensual non-monogamy, please? Yeah. So 
about 13 years ago, I um, tossed my life into the wood chipper and thought, <laughs> this will be fine. This will be totally fine. I was so naive. 13 years ago, I um, we were all just hanging out together, a group of friends. We were all the parent friends, right? Were you we married were, like, at the time? I was married. Mm-hmm. All my friends were married. Everybody and you had was all of your kids at that time? Yeah, I had. Mm-hmm. Yep. And here's the thing. Sometimes you really truly are just naive to the situation. I had no idea that my friend circle was filled with swingers. No idea. I had no idea. I'd known these people for many years. I had no idea. And then I started to, I, I found out. <laughs> Real quick, then, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, but here's the thing. I broke a cardinal rule, a, but an unspoken one. I was on a dance floor and had a full body, numinous experience with a man I had known my entire life. Literally, he like, I knew him when I was an infant. My mother knew him when she was pregnant with me. I had this, he's only nine years older than me. Um <laughs> I had this full on, oh my God, I know this soul moment. I was currently married. He was currently married. I was like, holy shit. Okay. Everybody pause. (laughs) And I was naive enough to think this is going to be okay. I hopped into the shower with my husband later that night. And I was like, I am totally like, this is it. I am head over heels. This is amazing. I'm so in love with somebody. He wasn't cool with it. Oh. He wasn't cool. Um, And this was confusing to me. The reason I say I was naive is I had fallen in love with girlfriends over and over and over and over since I was 16 years old. And my husband knew about it every time. And he was totally cool with it. I had no idea. I had no idea that what would break his brain was that this person had a penis. So did you guys have ever, ever have like a girl over to your house throughout your marriage? We never did. When you say, when you say that you fell in love with girlfriends throughout the years, it was just a, from afar, like you never went outside of your marriage to be with them. I never physically did, but I had deep emotional relationships with multiple women Mm -hmm. and women are allowed to do that right? Like it fits into the scheme of things, right? We call them best friends. Yeah, besties. It fits into that heteronormative society that we have when you have these deep entrenched friendships with other women. And then it's also one of those things where sometimes for uh, a lot of women, if they have this... um, these feelings for women, they can make out with them and guys are like, yeah, go lesbians. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So on those dance floors, right? Like I would watch, I would watch my mom friends like, oh, okay, I guess this is okay. I had, I behaved myself. I did not touch anyone because I really did not want to like break anybody's brain. I really wanted to do the thing that I had signed up to do, which was be married forever. To Did you guys I didn't really discuss like. monogamy in your marriage? Did you discuss what infidelity was and what? We sure did. You did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so we, that was got, part of it. I got, yep. I got engaged when I was 17 years old. I got married when I was 20. We, I had one, I had one fling when I was in college and that was a whole infidelity. Like that was treated as full infidelity, even though I was 18 years old when it happened. And, and the thing is, and I agreed, I agreed. And so I was in a monogamous marriage and I knew mm-hmm. that, but I 
was very clear with my husband that I was falling in love with women all the time. Like it happened, it happened like six different women over the course of the 13 year marriage Mm -hmm. that we had. And he knew about that and it was fine. And so when I had this numinous experience and that, Mm -hmm. that sacred experience of otherness with this person, I thought it was the same thing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is wild. Who knew? And that's what started this cataclysmic event in my life that I call throwing my life into the wood chipper. It was, I thought it would be the same thing and it wasn't the same thing for him because the action that could have theoretically happened afterwards wasn't okay with him. Mm-hmm. It got messy. It's interesting. Fast. It's interesting because I think from a, a male's perspective, I'm not talking about my perspective, but I think I could see through this lens that there's kind of a double standard with that, right? With guys and girls, girls and girls, guys don't, they're like, Oh yeah, cool. Make out. That's cool. No problem. But if it's a guy and you know, your wife or a girlfriend, it's totally different. And I think it's because guys <clears throat> in their mind are not threatened and they don't think their girlfriend would run away or their wife would run, a, run away with another woman, but they're threatened by the fact that, it, that she might run away with another guy. It's, I think at the, at the at face value, it's the same, but deeper. It's not in a in in a guy's mind, and that's probably why he had that reaction. But I think in your mind, it seemed the same, right? Yeah, it I wake was up. The same thing. I wake up every day and have no idea how some people wake up and just know that they are not attracted to some huge segment of the population. I just have no idea what that would feel like. I just, it sounds yeah. bizarre to me. I, I work really hard on my empathy around that. It sounds really limiting and challenging and overwhelming. Right. Like, oh my gosh, you just, you're like, nope, all of it. So I, I don't experience life that way. And so I don't experience threat that way. But right. I work with people on this every day. Like this is my specialty. And Do you think people are being truthful when they say they don't, they're not attracted to other people, only their spouse? I think that I will let other people truthful? identify for themselves what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, that a okay. lot of us are pressured to, into heteronormative values. I think a lot of us aren't, aren't allowed to, even if we do know how we feel, we don't, aren't allowed to express that, not just because right. of monogamy, but because queerphobia is real. Internalized queerphobia is real. I didn't kiss a girl for so many years, partially because of my monogamy agreement and partially because I was afraid that I would get dumped, that my friendships would end. And you know what? I've been right plenty of times since then. So I've been now 13 more years and I have lost several friends when I simply said, oh, I'm really struggling with this because I'm attracted to you, but I know how to behave. I know, like I know. So I'm going to work through this and they couldn't handle that. There's so much that we limit about what we can share with others because there are real ramifications to being vulnerable with others. Kind of when sucks. you told your husband this, did it be, was it the beginning of the end or did you ask him if you could open your marriage and then you opened your marriage and that was the end? Like how, what, what happened after that conversation? And so for us, it was in retrospect, right? If I look back, I can clearly see, oh, that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> oh, there it was. <laughs> oh, boom. And here's how. 45 days later, we were separated. How? And we had, you know, we had four children together. So that's a big deal. Oh. The youngest had was still nursing. So I, I do see it from here. However, 
it didn't go cleanly. It was, um, I told him this, he freaked out, but then he went through this, he went through these major states that I now look and I'm like, oh, he was dysregulating. He was hyper aroused and he was actually really into it. And then he'd fall into a deep depression and he was cycling through this so quickly. And if I knew, you know, all these degrees later, I'm just about to finish my fourth psych degree. Jesus. All these degrees later. I know. I'm like, that, like, tell me I have a problem with getting degrees. Without Someone has me. an addiction to degrees. <laughs> yeah, I think I bit. might have right. the same problem though, Julie. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. They're kind of fun. Yeah, yeah I was going to really say, don't lie. Bad. You, That's you. Yeah. That's you, babe. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. It's kind of fun. It's Anyways, so fun. I did it because... I, I like I have been studying this because it was so fascinating to me that I was willing to look at him suffering and not see it. Like I just couldn't see it. I thought he like, why is he having a different experience than I am? Because he was also at that point, like he was like, okay, let's try this. But it was causing total dysregulation for him. Like wow. just total. And so we were having very, very different experiences. And very quickly that entered a fa- a state where the nicest thing I can say is we were being abusive to each other and the best thing to do was to end it. Wow. So we did. And I'm glad in in retrospect because there are also, if I look back now over that, that marriage, there were lots of things that were very, very, very wrong and we were not able to work through them. And we had tried for And clearly years. not sexually compatible. So, so that was... So it wasn't just like you brought this up and boom, end of marriage. There was a lot of, because I think people that are listening are like, oh my God, I will never bring that up to my spouse, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever, because that's going to happen. But I think to what you're trying to say is there was background noise. There were other things bubbling up that led to that point where it went the the wrong direction, but it was probably... Maybe heading that direction anyway. Well, I don't know. Yeah. So first off, there was so much turmoil under the surface that had been covered up by monogamy. So the mm. monogamy was holding, it was like holding the container, but inside that container were two very unhappy people who yeah. also right. also had some things they really loved about each other and also had built a life they really loved. We had two businesses together. We we loved so much of what we did. We were running a CrossFit at the time. It was we we were having a good time and also we were 16 when we like God. got together. There were issues. That's, but yeah. here's the thing. I this is where I stand every day. I help people who are in this transition point. They are monogamous or they have made monogamous commitments and they want something more and they don't even know exactly what that something more is. And the reason I stand right there, which is a damn uncomfortable place to stand when you've been through what I've been through. But the reason I do is because having that conversation and having no guide to turn to and no really reputable advice, well-studied advice meant that I did it in ways that harmed my partner, who I did love very much, harmed me, harmed my children, and it didn't have to go like that. It absolutely did not have to go like that. But I didn't, even once I had burst that bubble, well, it was 2009, I turned to the internet. I owned an internet company at the time. I turned (laughs) to the internet. I researched. There was almost nothing. There was the Ethical Slut, second edition. There was like not... Great book, by the way. I own that book. Great book. Whatever edition it is now is a great book. Third now. It's like, 
like you said, that that's 13 years ago, and this is just coming to the surface for the majority of individuals. So right. are you in a consensually non-monogamous relationship now? I am. Okay. Very happily. Very, very happily. Did you start the relationship consensually non-monogamous or did you start it as a normal, normal, I say normal. Did you start it? Here's, hello. There it is. There's the mononormativity. Boom. Yep. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I appreciate yeah. that. I know that that's awesome. not what you were going to say, but I appreciate yeah. how you just demonstrated yeah. that so beautifully. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately re- realized what I said. Uh, it, is that how you started your relationship was non-monogamous? I went so hard, Ashley. <laughs> I I went so hard. How hard? Um, <laughs> I immediately entered someone else's marriage as a triad. Immediately. Oh. Oh. Yeah, it was a life choice. It's ten out big... of ten would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I do the work I do. Because I'm like, okay, guys, I made all these mistakes. Let us now learn because this was not a good choice. They, That couple, they had been non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous, pretty much their whole relationship. Um, they had lots of experience. They were, you know, 19 years in at that point. But they were don't ask, don't tell. Don't ask, don't tell is a specific form of consensual non-monogamy where you agree to sort of the theory you have mm-hmm. a, some broad outlines of what's a la- what's a deal breaker, and then you just go forth and you don't talk and you don't ask. Then I then I entered. Now, can you imagine me being quiet and not asking and not telling while no. also living in their house? You lived there. Uh huh. So wait, were you with both of them? So we were in what we considered a triad: three okay. adults loving each other. Okay. I did not have any sexual relationship with her. Because she wasn't interested in one. Cool. I'm not into non-consensual sex. So we have a word for that. 10 out of 10, I'll pass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, but we were in a triad because we were, we had decided that we wanted to raise our kids together. We were just going to, we were going all in. I had known them a very long time. We were very close friends and it made sense to us. She invited me in. She was like, um, your husband doesn't want you, but we do. Come on in. Let's go. It was so poorly thought out, and then there really was no one to turn to because here's the thing. Most of us don't know where to go for community once Mm -hmm. we make a paradigm shift, and that's what I was doing, and I had no idea. I was making a paradigm shift from monogamy to, in our case, polyamory, and I didn't even know the word polyamory, but I had... The only thing I knew how to do was to apply monogamous values, monogamous principles, monogamous tools, right? Here I am sitting here thinking, this poor woman's going through a divorce, which is already a paradigm shift, and then you are entering into consensual non-monogamy, which is a complete mind fuck when you have no compass, you have no sense of like a home mothership, right? You have no place to go to get insight. And you're absolutely fucking right. You were entering into polyamory with no guidebook whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. I remember the day that I finally came across the word polyamory. And this was, I was, I was at home babysitting for this couple's children 
because they were out on a date. And so I was, I had basically become their au pair when my own children were not there because like I was in the house. So there I was. And I'm babysitting and I'm like on the internet and I'm singing Disney songs to their, their daughter. And, um, and now, and it was fine. Um, (laughs) It was, oh my God, it was so bad. It was, uh, it was Little Mermaid. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I was deep in it. Um, Mm. I find this word and I'm like, there's a word to describe what we're doing. Oh my gosh. Right. Language gave my life meaning in like one second. All of a sudden, I at least knew where we were aiming. And we all agreed. We looked at the definition and we were like, yeah, okay, that's what we're trying to do. However, we had no idea what we were doing. And it's incredibly challenging to have no community. And because, of course, you know how it goes when you're getting a divorce. You lose almost all your friends. I don't. It's so common. I've never been divorced. Oh, my God. Well, you lose a lot of friends, generally I bet. I couldn't and, imagine the fallout from well, I know from secondhand experience. People are gonna pick sides. Yeah. People yeah. take sides. And I didn't look very good. I didn't that, I did that was not a good look. And admittedly, like what I did, I said at the beginning, and, and the reason I share my story is it's, this is how this is how I wound up, but also I've seen people live this kind of story out over and yeah. over again. We don't have to. But what I said at the beginning is that I broke a rule. I broke of an unspoken cardinal rule of my friend group, which is I said, I'm in love. I'm in love. I didn't say I want to fuck him. I said, mm. I'm in love. I will behave myself. I do not need to have sex with this person. We didn't have sex for six months. You eventually and had sex me, with this person? I'm married to that person. Now. I know. It gets so crazy. Okay, so for crazy. people who aren't watching this, my eyeballs just fell <laughs> out. I have to pick them up real quick. I gotta yeah. go down to just the pop those bad boys right back in <laughs> real fast. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, I know. And he he was a keeper, but here's the thing: he was a full like demo and rebuild himself kind of project because he was this person who mm-hmm. I had that experience with, and I've known my whole life. That's and insane. It is. And somehow we made it. And honest to God, we have a m- remarkable relationship. But it started in a place of abuse. It started and in a place of massive upheaval. When you started dating him, did you both know you wanted an open relationship? Yeah. So that's the question you asked was, am I in a consensually non-monogamous relationship now? And so we had entered this triadic situation And I was, once I started to have language, I was like, yes, 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 yes. I see these words and they make sense to me. They Mm -hmm. fit who I have always known myself to be. Mm -hmm. So when I do research in non-monogamy, I ask people, one of the questions I always ask is, do you approach your non-monogamy as an orientation, as a philosophy, or as a choice? Most people, even if they've never been asked this, are like, oh, okay, hang on. Give me a second. Okay, for me, it's an orientation. Let's or break me, that down really quick. Okay. Yeah. So if you approach non-monogamy as an orientation, that's probably going to mean you are polyamorous, right? Well, it, not necessarily. You could approach it. You could even just be a, a person who wants to swing, but you might find that you are like polysexual or you are- okay. Or perhaps you're just a person who's like, who never seems to not be in relationship because all your relationships overlap. 
That's suspiciously poly to me right. in an orientation way. But let's, <laughs> let's just say you, if you feel that your experience of having deep, intimate connections with more than one person is endemic to your personhood mm. and cannot okay. be separated okay. from you, even if you choose to behave differently, it mm-hmm. is part of you then I would say you're approaching it from an orientation perspective. What is a philosophical perspective? So this is what I found myself really, really resonating with at first. It's I read the tenets of polyamory. I read the basic ideas of relationship anarchy and of consensual non-monogamy. And then as the books started to come out Mm -hmm. more and more, I was like, oh yeah, this is me. I believe in these things. I believe in all people having agency. I believe that I do not own my partner's body. I believe that I am entitled to sexual pleasure that has nothing to do with a, a ring on my finger. And so because I felt those deeply held beliefs, I was like, oh, I align with this as a philosophy. This okay. is my way of being in the world. That's amazing. And then what is it as a choice? Some people would be perfectly happy loving multiply or loving monogamously. They feel the capacity to do either. They you we could call them ambiamorous. In fact, most people I think would fall into that spectrum. Most somewhere. I feel like most people are are that. We're like most people are in the middle of all spectrums. Otherwise, we don't have a spectrum and we don't have a bell curve. <laughs> so, spectrum doesn't exist. <laughs> doesn't exist. So let's just say if you are one of those people who could potentially do either, then you might identify as, like, well, yeah, non-monogamy is a choice I make. It's a decision that I choose to engage in. Some people choose to engage in this from really healthy place of, yeah, I know what my options are and this is what I'm choosing. Some people, though, find themselves pressured or coerced to make a decision to participate in in what is supposed to be consensual non-monogamy and might not actually be fully consensual. So this is where the choice piece is great, and we need to be careful about how much choice do you really have? Do you feel like you really have agency in your life? And not everybody does. Not everybody even knows what agency is oh in a relationship. God. I not even fuck relate fuck a relationship. A lot of people don't know what agency is for themselves outside of a yes. relationship. They think that that they belong to their parents. They think that they belong to their job. They think that they belong to society and have to put it. Agency yes. is an entirely different fucking episode. Yes. And so these three ways of understanding, and somebody might identify with all three or just one. And this is a way of thinking about how you're doing non-monogamy, like what its place in your life is. How much of your brain space does it take up? How important is it to you to have this as part of your life? And so when I think about those studies that you named at the beginning, and I think about that that u.gov study that said that the third of millennials would prefer, like that's their preferred relationship style. I think, cool. There's a follow-up question that they didn't ask, which is how important is this? Is is that is this actually like in your top three things? Or is this actually just like, yeah, I would prefer it, but I know it's not realistic. So I actually it's like my 15th most important thing. Or does it just sound cool to say? That's that's what I was gonna say. Cause I think a lot of people are like, oh wait, I get to have sex with more people. Yeah, that's what I want. But they don't really think about everything else that comes along with that. And it's very complex. And there's, like you said, when you, you, there is no roadmap for you, which makes it 10 times more difficult 
Yeah. Well, and that's where you come in. <laughs> it is. And there's the thing. So I really believe that now, and I'm not the only one out there doing this work. There are some amazing therapists, coaches, academics. There's amazing work being done to establish a basis, like an understanding of best practices. <laughs> we, we can have this go better. And yet most people still, when they're considering it, are considering it from a monogamous paradigm, soaked in a monogamous culture, steeped in monogamous values. They are fully entrenched in it. So yeah, we might reduce it to just like, oh, could I have sex with more than one person? And that's so simplistic when in fact it's incredibly nuanced. Like what ways do you want to be intimate with others? Across what domains will you be exclusive or expansive? Where will you draw the strength and reserves to deal with jealousy and anger and sadness when they come up? Most of us think about a simple a simple aspect of non-monogamy because to really consider it is to consider everything that you know about relationships. Can I ask you, before we go to break, your relationship now, you are married to this human. I am. You, what kind of non-monogamy do the two of you practice? We are polyamorous. We both identify as polyamorous. We both identify as being orientated toward polyamory, like it's it's endemic to us. We dabbled in monogamy for a year. Um, it wasn't for us. However, and I like to share this. Um, Ken's very out. We're lucky. We have a lot of privilege. We get to be out. Um, we are very different people. So my polyamory looks like dating, looks like looking for relationships, looks like being expansive across multiple domains. I like to be expansive across my work domains, my creative domains, my financial domains, my business domain. I just love to be expansive. Ken is pretty shy. He tends not to date very much. He lo- but he is the most polyamorous person I have ever met. <laughs> He's just endemically that way. And so it looks different in practice, but what it boils down to for us is we are focused on increasing love across domains and we are we have our guiding star is growth over comfort. Do you incorporate relationships with one another or do you both do you both have relationships outside of your marriage as well? Yeah, we primarily date separately. Um, I love dating together, but it's really complicated because you like then you're looking for somebody that we look for different things in people. We just do. Um, we're both queer, so you know there are a million different ways that that can wind up looking. Mm, that's and very true. The combinations are endless. Right, the permutations are amazing, and he's a physicist slash computer scientist. So, so he's, he he's a total math. nerd. Total nerd. Total nerd. My favorite kind. I always have one nerd in my polyamorous world because somebody has to know how to hook up my printer. I don't know how. That's just practical, people. That's just practical. This is what I say across domains. It doesn't have to be about sex. Doesn't. I'm looking for a photographer right now. That would be great. I'd love to have a photographer in my circle and maybe a plumber. Yeah. These are good and a things. plumber, and a plumber. Yeah, okay. Right? She's looking for a photographer and a plumber, everyone. So keep that in mind. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what I think is one of your favorite things, Dr. Hamilton, compersion. 
I'm so excited. I don't know how to experience compersion. I literally would love to learn how to experience compersion. I'm obsessed with learning. Um, and this is one area that I feel like I could really uh, use some assistance. So we'll be back in just a moment. Uh, join us in just a second. I've learned a lot about self-control and when to hold on in life and when to let go. Maybe I've always known And without you by my side I know I'll be fine Because the magic lives inside But heaven you sure is nice Heaven you sure is nice We can make magic twice 